Welcome to the Qalam Institute Podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Kamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salaman ala ibadihi ladhina astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatami al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. Today, inshallah, in our class, we will cover the story of the nation of Thamud and their prophet, Salih alayhi salam. If you recall, last week we talked about the people of Huda alayhi salam. And when we made reference to the people of Huda alayhi salam, while sharing with you the different names that are used to refer to that particular nation, we mentioned that the Qur'an refers to that nation as Ad al-Ula. Ad al-Ula, the first Ad. And the reason why the Qur'an refers to the people of Huda alayhi salam as the first Ad is because from that very same generation continues on the second Ad, if you wish to say. And the Qur'an also makes refer to these people. But rather than calling them the second Ad in the Qur'an, the Qur'an calls them the people of Thamud. And their Prophet's name was Salih alayhi salam. Another thing that you'll remember is that I shared with you that there were four Prophets who were sent who were Arab. One was Hud salam, the second was Salih salam, the third was Shu'ib salam, and the fourth is Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, Salih salam is mentioned in the Qur'an by his name eight times in three surahs. In Surah A'raf, he is mentioned three times. In Surah Hud, he is mentioned four times. And Shu'ara, he is mentioned once. However, his nation, the people who followed Salih salam, the people of Thamud, are mentioned in the Qur'an in nine surahs, in nine surahs of the Qur'an. Surah A'raf, Surah Hud, Surah Hijr, Surah Naml, Surah Fussilat, Surah Al-Najm, Al-Qamar, Al-Haqqah, and Surah Al-Shams. كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودُ بِتَغْوَاهَا إِذِنْ بَعَثَ أَشْقَاهَا فَقَالَ لَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ نَاقَةَ اللَّهِ وَسُقْيَاهَا فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَعَقَرُوهَا فَدَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسَوَّاهَا وَلَا يَخَافُ عُقْبَاهَا We'll cover these ayat and their meaning up ahead, inshallah. Now, what is the lineage of Sayyidina Salih alayhi salam? And where do the people of Thamud come from? So there is an, there is an ikhtilaf, uh, a, a kind of a greater ikhtilaf, a greater difference of opinion, one is from the um, famous Tabi'i Wahab ibn Munabbih. And the second opinion is from Imam Baghawi rahmatullahi Imam Baghawi rahmatullahi opinion, according to Imam uh, Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi seems to be the stronger of the two. So that's why I'll share with you the lineage um, of, that Imam Baghawi rahmatullahi states. He says that his name is Salih, the son of Ubaid, the son of Asif, the son of Mashih, the son of Ubaid, the son of Hadir, the son of Thamud. Now, you note there that in his forefathers comes the name Thamud. 
And that's why this generation here, these people are called Thamud, because in their forefathers comes Thamud. And then Imam um, Wahab ibn Munabih, he says that the name is Salih bin Ubaid bin Jabir bin Thamud. So he says there are fewer forefathers between Salih salam and the father Thamud. Now, um, it's important to know that the people of Thamud are also from the children of Nuh salam. And I mentioned this earlier on, that the generation of mankind, the, uh, the existence of mankind once again restarts, if you wish to say, from Nuh salam and his sons. And since um, the people of Thamud are Arab, therefore they are the children of Sam, because that's where the Arabs come from, from the children of Sam. The scholars ask, they have, a they have a discussion that who were these people? So there are some people, some historians who claim that these people were actually, they shared a lineage, they shared, they shared family and clan with Jalut. You may recall from Dawud story, the Quran makes reference to a giant by the name of Jalut. He was a very strong, big man. And because he was strong and big and he was very tall, and he wore a helmet that was so large, and the description is there in the, in the books. They say that the people of Thamud were also in relation to those people. And what they say is that Jalut and his people entered into Palestine, today what is known as Palestine, the Ardul Muqaddas, the sacred land. These were people who were a part of that caravan, they were a part of that, uh, that clan, but they didn't join into the Ardul Muqaddas, they kind of just hung along the way. While they were traveling, they said, you know what, we're okay, we're going to stay here. And Jalut and his people went all the way up, and these people stayed behind. So this is a claim. Now the truth is that that doesn't seem to be accurate. The reason is because these are two different people, two different timelines altogether. The people of Jalut and the story of Dawud comes after Musa And here, the people of Thamud come after Hud There's a big gap between the two. There's a large gap. There's hundreds of years between the two. So it's, there seems to be a misunderstanding. We have two references in the Quran that kind of help us give us a timeline of when the people of Thamud were. We find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the 24th juz, and this, um, this ayah comes in the discussion of Musa salam's story. That Fir'aun and his people were after Musa salam and they wanted to execute him, they wanted to kill him. So there was a person who was from the people of Fir'aun who was hiding his iman. And he came to Fir'aun and the people and said to them, um, and the Qur'an makes reference to this, the Qur'an calls this person, وَقَالَ رَجُلٌ مُؤْمِنٌ مِنْ آلِ فِرْعَوْنَ يَكْتُمُ إِيمَانَهُ أَتَقْتُلُونَ رَجُلٌ أَنْ يَقُولَ رَبِّيَ اللَّهُ وَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ He said to the people of Fir'aun, that are you killing um, a, a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply because he says he believes in Allah and he has brought you proofs. And then he, If he is a liar, then let him be with his lie. And if he's truthful, then whatever he's promising you, meaning the punishment of Allah, if you transgress him, it's going to come true. And then after that, in the, as he continues to explain to them and trying to give them understanding the, to call off the hit on Musa salam, he then says, مِثْلَ he says, and this is in Musa salam's time, before Dawud salam and Jalut everyone, he's saying that just as Allah did to the people of Nuh, just as Allah did to the people of Ad, and just as Allah, did, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did to the people of Thamud, and those who came after them. So from here again, we can create a little timeline. The people of Nuh salam, Hud salam, and then Salih salam. And the second reference is in Surah Araf, verse number 74, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرُوا إِذْ جَعَلَكُمْ خُلَفَاءَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عَادِ And remember, 
when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made you successors after the people of Ad, after Huda salam's people. And not only did He make you successors after them, وَبَوَّأَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ تَتَّخِذُونَ مِن سُهُولِهَا قُصُورًا وَتَنْحِتُونَ الْجِبَالَ بُيُوتًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you begin to make palaces and you begin to carve your homes out of the mountains just as the people of Ad were doing, you also have that ability as well. So this creates a timeline here that after the people of Hud came the people of um, Thamud, Salih salam's people. Which religion did they follow? Because these were all a part of Ad, and we mentioned earlier that Ad were idol worshippers, similarly the people of Thamud were also idol worshippers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to them a prophet from amongst them, and that prophet's name was Salih alayhi salam. Salih is an Arabic word which means pious, which means righteous, and it's a name that's used till today. Men and women are both named Salih and Saliha, a pious man and a pious lady. He was a pious individual, uh, not only by name but also in character. He invited them towards the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he invited them towards Islam. Like all those who came before, they rejected him. The interesting thing is that when they rejected him, the logic they, produce, they, they put forward was, why should we accept you when our forefathers taught us this? It wasn't really too intellectual if you think about it. But they were so convinced that their forefathers could never be wrong, that they refused to even rely on their intellect for a moment. And this is a very scary trait of the human being. Sometimes we become so comfortable with certain practices that we become blind in the practice. And when someone comes to us and says, Hey, excuse me, don't you know that logically what you're doing doesn't make any sense? Have you ever thought about this thing? Have you ever considered this reference, this statement? This is why Allah created you. Look at the creation around you. But the people are so blind, as the Quran refers to them sometimes as summun bukmun, umyun, blind, dumb, and deaf. Blind, dumb, and deaf. They lose all their senses, meaning these senses are no longer useful to them. And this happens when a person becomes arrogant when they don't want to listen to someone. The easiest argument is that leave me alone. When two people get into an argument and that person realizes that they're wrong, rather than saying that I'm wrong and you're right, you know what, I'm gonna do what you're saying, people they say, leave me alone, don't bother me anymore. I'm gonna do what I've been doing. I've been doing it all these years. This is how we did things back home and this is how we're gonna do things in America too. When they forget to realize that there are other, other considerations that you need to consider. And one of the biggest considerations is that the, the pathway you've taken could have been wrong. And this is what Salih salam is telling his people, that what you've done these, all this time, just because everyone's been doing it, it doesn't make it right. There's no such thing as like a... I mean, a majority doesn't make something right. Do you guys understand that? A majority doesn't make something... This is not a democracy here. Where, you know, people, people bring this issue, they say, hey, um, in a particular issue, there are four, three imams who hold one opinion, and one imam holds the other opinion, therefore the three imams are right and one is wrong. That's not how fiqh works. Fiqh is not a democracy. Where if there's three on one side and one on the other side, the three are right and the one is wrong. How it works is that each person relies on their proofs, presents their evidences, and believes that what their belief is, whether they're alone in the argument against a million or three or two, whatever it is, they believe their grounding is strong, so they stand in their place. It's not about numbers, it's about their understanding, their istimbad, their ishtihad, how they derive that ruling. That's in the fiqhi context. Now let's come back to this story right here. They say to Nuh they say to Salih salam that we refuse to accept you because your teachings go against the teachings of our forefathers. Salih salam continued to be patient with them, even after they rejected him, which is a sign of sincerity, which is a sign of true callers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That no matter how much harshness they're faced with, they continue to do what they're doing. And one of my teachers used to say 
that one of the signs of sincerity, if a person wishes to gauge what, how much sincerity they have in their action, that action will result in consistency. A sincere action always has consistency with it. Because you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you're doing for something for the sake of Allah, as long as Allah remains, that action should remain. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Hayyun la yamut, He is alive and will never die. Therefore that action will always remain. But if you're doing it for the sake of people, if you're doing it for the sake of, sake of props and fame, then the second people stop giving you fame, the moment they stop giving you props, your action is also going to, it's going to go down, right? So an act, you know, a sign of sincerity is that whether your friends attend a lecture or not, if you're doing it for Allah, you continue to attend that lecture. Whether your family members are praying salah or not, if you're doing it for the sake of Allah, you continue doing it. You know, you shouldn't look at people around you. Because they may be right, they may be wrong. But as long as you're following the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you are few, you are successful. And you'll notice this when we talk about the story, when we cover the story of Nuh and also the story of Hud We mention in each one that how many followers did each of them had? have? Few in number. They had very few followers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the same thing regarding here we have Salih and then we'll have Ibrahim Ibrahim hardly had any followers by the way. I'm not even joking. You know how many followers Ibrahim had? Like, except for his family, he had zero followers. Ibrahim had no followers. But today you look at Ibrahim legacy and it's amazing. We'll cover that more next week, inshallah, when we get to the story of Ibrahim Lut as well, how many followers? A handful of followers. It's a few followers. But these people weren't about the numbers. And I think that's something that we have to go back and revisit. We live at a time where everything has become so superficial. The success of a particular project is gauged by numbers. We've made our da'wah into businesses as well. You know in business, how do you gauge a success? You go to an accountant and he does the numbers for you. If the numbers are right, the business is good, the numbers are bad, the business isn't good. It's as simple as that. But in Islam, when it comes to building our connection with Allah, building a, building a community, establishing people, it's not about numbers. It's actually about the quality within the people. You may have one follower, but that quality of that one person could be good, and that's good enough. And you may have a hundred followers, and out of those hundred, the quality is at zero, or even beneath that's probably all scum that you've put together, and that doesn't hold the same value as one follower who is solid. So it's about building quality in people. Now, these people, they continued to debate with Salih they became very aggressive with him. Finally, they said to Salih bring us a miracle. What did they say? Bring us a, a miracle. <laughs> Salih said to them, what kind of miracle would you like? So they said to Salih we want a camel. But not just any camel, we want the camel to come out of this mountain. These guys were all about mountains, they used to build their houses in mountains, they understood mountains, they understood the material of mountains, how difficult it was. Now they wanted a soul to come out of something that had no soul. So they said, that mountain there, that's what we want the, 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 the camel to come out of. Not only a camel, one of them said the camel should be a red camel. Then another person got up and said, it must be a fat and stocky camel, so when it comes out, we can benefit from it. Another person got up and said, it must be a large camel. Another person said, it must be a pregnant camel. So they kept adding conditions. We want this kind of camel, that kind of camel. Kind of reminds you of the story of Banu Israel that Allah mentions in the Quran in Surah Baqarah, right? And they continued saying, this kind of camel, this kind of camel. Salih he went to his prayer area, his musalla. He prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, made dua saying, Ya Allah, give them their camel. 
Now, there's a few points that we have to discuss here. Um, actually, let me just finish off um, two things that Salih says to them. Salih says to them that when Allah gives you the camel, you cannot touch it with the ill intention. You cannot touch it with ill intention. When Allah gives you the camel, you have to touch it very respectfully if you touch it. And the second thing he said, that you will have a day to drink from your water, and this animal will drink a day. Now someone can argue and say, why does an animal need to drink for a full day? Well, the reason was because what kind of camel did they ask for? They asked for a big camel, they got what they wanted. They got a big camel, camel needed water, one day for the one day of water for the camel. The other thing was that there are some narrations that say that the people of um, Thamud, they begin to complain, they say that this camel is so big that our animals run away. So our animals cannot drink the same time that your animal drinks. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, هَذِهِ نَاقَةُ اللَّهِ This is the camel of? Allah. That belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore this camel will drink for a full day, and the other day will be your, 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 your animal's drink. Now, before we move forward, let's stop right here. There's a few issues that we have to discuss. The first issue, because this is the first time I think in our class, we're clearly discussing uh, as a part of our series, a miracle. So let's understand what miracles are. And by understanding miracles, some of the other discussions will open up. Imam Sa'duddin Taftazani rahmatullahi alayhi. Sa'duddin Taftazani rahmatullahi alayhi, who was a great scholar in Islamic history and a contributor to some of the more sophisticated sciences in Islam. When, you know, in madrasa, in Islamic schools, there's a saying that the one who can teach the works of Sa'duddin Taftazani is the highest caliber of scholar. Imam Sa'duddin Taftazani Wallahu alam, I don't remember the exact area. I'm assuming it's near this, uh, this uh, Iran slash Mawara Nahr area. But Wallahu alam, I haven't checked the exact location of where it would equal to today. So, and it would be Taftazan. Obviously, that's where he's called Taftazani, but I'm not sure exactly where Taftazan is. Wallahu alam. Now, uh, what, I, what we can tell you though is that he passed away in year 792. 792. So he's an older scholar, but he's a very intellectual person. So Imam Sa'duddin Taftazani, while defining what a miracle is, he says, it is something extraordinary that appears at the hands of a claimant to prophethood. It is something extraordinary that appears at the hand of the claimant of prophethood at a time of challenge to the naysayers. So those who reject, as a challenge to them, it comes. Which the latter can produce nothing that compares to it. And the person who's claiming for the miracle or the one who's being shown the miracle, they cannot show anything similar to that miracle. Um, Sheikh Ibrahim al-Bajuri, rahimahullah ta'ala, he, while describing the miracle, he says that there are certain integral aspects to a miracle. Certain very important aspects that must be there in order for a miracle to be understood properly. The first thing that he says, and he lists out eight of them, and I'll share them with you. The first thing he says is that, okay, he says that it must consist in a discourse or deed or something that fails to take place. For example, respectively, the Qur'an, the gushing of water from between his fingers and the failure of fire to burn our master Ibrahim salam. So what this first point means is that a part of a miracle is that something happens, something takes place, which couldn't take place without that miracle. For example, does water come out of hands? No. But the miracle was water came out of the hands. And similarly, fire burns, but what we see is as a miracle, the fact of fire stopped, and that was the absence of the fire burning in the story of Ibrahim The second thing he says is that it must be truly supernatural. 
Okay? It must be truly supernatural. Um, meaning, uh, it's not similar to what people have accust become accustomed to over a period of time. So for example, the sign that I am truthful is that the sun shall rise where it usually rises and set where it usually sets. That's not a miracle. So if a person says that I am a, I am a prophet and the proof of that is my miracle is the sun will rise from the east. That's not a miracle because that's not truly supernatural. The sun will be, the miracle will be, you know how, um, you know who made this claim? What's his name with Ibrahim alayhi salam story? Namrud. Namrud said, I rise the sun from the east. Right? He, he, you know how he made that claim? And then Ibrahim alayhi salam said, if you really want to make a claim, why don't you show us rise it from the because the man really had no miracle. The third thing is that it must take place, it must take place at the hands of the claimant of a prophet. The person who is showing the miracle must be a prophet. If that person is not a prophet and the miracle occurs, there are different names given to that miracle. If something happens, let's say for example, that seems extraordinary at the hands of a magician, what does that mean? What is that called? Or for example, it happens at the hands of the prophet, but before they become prophet. Or it happens at the hands of a pious person. Or it happens at the hands of a person who sins openly, a fasiq. So for that, what are the different names for uh, extraordinary things that happen at the hands of different people? I'll cover that in a moment. But here, one of the points is that it must take place at the hands of someone that claims prophethood. Number four, it must be paired with the assertion of prophethood um, or else in effect. What that means is that when the prophet claims for it to happen, it needs to happen right away. So that person can't say, it's going to rain, and then walk away, and it rains one week later. That's not called uh, a miracle. It needs to happen right when that person says it. Or if the prophet does say themselves that it will happen at this time, then it happens at that time. So either haqiqatan means immediately it happens, or hukman means it happens when the prophet says it's going to happen. So for example, the prophet wasallam said, um, and this may not be considered as a miracle, but just so you understand, he said to the people that when I was returning back from Isra and Mi'raj, I saw a caravan that was coming. Now, he told them when it was going to happen. You understand? So that's, uh, it's not exactly a miracle because he saw it, and it's, it's not khariq al-ada. But nonetheless, it's, it's something of that sort where it happens later on. But that's because a prophet said so, or because of a reason that's connected to it. The, third, the fifth thing is that the miracle must occur as was stated. It cannot have opposite to that. So for example, if the prophet says that these stones will speak, and now the stones speak and they say he's a liar. So the stones did speak, but what do they say? They say the opposite of what he's claiming, therefore it's not testifying for him, it's actually going against him. Number six, what he claims must happen. So for example, the prophet says that I will have the sea split into two. But when he makes a gesture, the sea doesn't split into two, the, the sun splits into two. Or the moon splits into two. You know, it's like a, a mishit. He, he's trying to shoot there and went in the wrong net, own goal. So that's not going to count. It has to be exactly as that person said. Number seven, it must be impossible to encounter. So encounter, sorry, not encounter, it must be impossible to counter it. Which means when the Prophet does something, you cannot counter it back. So this, this moves out any witchcraft and any sihr that people do, because witchcraft and sihr can all be uh, uh, countered. Like for example, the people of Musa salam, they came with their magic, their witchcraft, and Musa salam countered it. But once he countered them with this miracle, could they counter him back? They were not able to, because this is a sign of a miracle that it cannot be countered back. And the last thing is that it must not take place at a time when natural customs are abolished. So we know that towards the end of time, when the, when the Day of Judgment comes nearby, natural customs will be abolished. So for example, the sun will rise from the, 
the West. And also Ya'juj and Ma'juj will be there. Dajjal will be there. So, so many unnatural things, if you wish to use the word, will be happening. And at that time, if someone comes like Dajjal and says, watch this, I'm going to do a miracle, and he shows a miracle, that's not called a miracle. And it's because at that time, many unnatural things are already occurring. And people can use those unnatural things to, to, to their favor to make false claims. Therefore, that's one of the conditions the scholars also put down. Now, earlier on, I was mentioning that depending on who is doing the um, supernatural action, there is a different title given to it. So the first time, I'm going to walk you through five words. Five words that are very important for you to know. The first is called irhas. Irhas is the manifestation of such a thing by a prophet before the prophethood, which is considered to be supernatural. So you know that miracle thing, that, that supernatural thing that happens? It happens by the prophet, but before prophethood. By the prophet, but before prophethood. What do we call that? Irhas. The second is mu'jizah. Mu'jizah. Mu'jizah means the manifestation of the, uh, of, of the miracle at the hand of a prophet or a messenger. Mu'jizah comes from the Arabic word ajaza. And that means to, uh, to be left incapable, not having the ability to do anything back. And that's the effect of the mu'jizah, that once it does something, the person in front has no response at all. Because it's kind of like, it's the, it's the last punch. You're knocked on the ground, you can't move anymore. The third is called karama. This is done by a wali, a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a pious individual. Karama, karamat is the plural of karama. And this is a reality. This is not something that should be joked around with or considered as a non-existent. Because in the books of Aqidah you will find Imam Taftazani and others also write Karamat awliya'i haqqun That the miracles that happen at the hands of the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are a reality. And these miracles have happened from the time of the Sahaba. After the Prophet sallallahu there will be no other Prophet. So the miracles that happen at the hands of righteous people after the Prophet sallallahu from the Sahaba and onwards, these are all considered as Karamat. And a great example of a karama is Umar an writing a letter to river, river Nile. The river Nile went dry. They came and complained to Umar an that there was a practice in Egypt. What they would do is that they would take a lady, a young lady, and dress her like a bride and put her inside the river. And the next day they would come and she would be lying there uncovered and destroyed and possibly even dead. And when Umar bin Allah heard of this, he said, no lady will die during my watch. This is not Islamic. Nobody's going to die innocently. And they said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to be patient and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They waited, waited, waited. And now because of no water, the, the land were going dry and people were struggling and some were even dying. So Umar bin As wrote a letter to Umar bin Khattab and Umar when he read the situation he said La hawla wa la illa billah. and then he wrote a letter and he said to the messenger take this letter and read it to the people and after they hear it then go and place it inside the river Nile and the letter said Min, uh, min Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar bin Khattab ila Nil Misr that this letter is from Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar bin Khattab to the Nile, to the Nile of Egypt. Amma ba'd, after praising Allah, in kunta tajri min qiblik, in min qibalik, if you flow by your own will, fala tajri, then today, after today, don't, don't flow anymore. We don't need your water. We'll die if we have to. Wa in kana Allahul wahid al-qahar, and if it is Allah, 
the alone, the all-powerful, who makes you flow, then we ask that Allah, the all-powerful, the alone, to make you flow. And then after that, they took that letter and they put it inside the river Nile. And the next day they came, the river Nile was flowing again. This is a good example of a miracle, right? And it's an established miracle. And there are so many miracles that are established. It's important that we don't, um, we don't uh, disregard something that's difficult for us to understand. Now, the, the thing, one of the differences between a miracle, a karama from a pious person, and a mu'jiza from a prophet, is that the mu'jiza should be announced. The mu'jiza should be announced. The karama shouldn't be announced. Whoever was there to witness it has benefited from it, and that's the end of it. It's not something that should be announced again and again. You know, it was sent, it happened for a reason, for a purpose, and those who benefit can benefit. But publicly announcing it, the scholars just say it's not a uh, common practice. Wallahu alam. The next, number four, is what they call ma'una. This is exhibited by a Muslim, a true believer. Any Muslim. The fifth is what they call istidraj. This is done at the hand of a disbeliever. And the last, number six, I said five, make it six, sorry. Number six is what happens at the hands of someone that is doing witchcraft and magic, and this is called sihr. What is this called? Sihr. And the Quran also makes reference to magic as well.